Over the course of the summer, Father Willig, Christopher, our seminarian, and I watched a, a series that was originally aired on HBO called Band of Brothers. And Band of Brothers, maybe you've seen it, it was really popular. It came out in 2001, and it basically follows the story of a group of paratroopers in World War II. And so the, the first of the episodes kind of does their, their training when they're in training and jump school and then when they're in, and they're in England. And it becomes pretty clear that the, the commanding officer is of, the easy, of the company is just not, not really up to snuff. His name is, is Sobel, Lieutenant Sobel, and uh, he's just not a really good field commander. So everybody's kind of worried that they're going to get killed in action of you know, real fear there. But his, his number two is a, is a guy who just is beloved by the men, uh, winners. Uh, he eventually becomes a major. And as the story unfolds, uh, Sobel ends up, Lieutenant Sobel ends up losing his, his role as the commanding officer. He gets transferred. And then winners eventually just kind of keeps climbing the ranks throughout the throughout the series and throughout the rest of the war. And you can read their stories. I mean, these are all real people, and the Band of Brothers book is basically a documentary of, of what happened. But at the very, last, the very last episode, there's a scene in which the Germans are surrendering, and there's major winners there kind of observing the German general who's, who's surrendering on behalf of their, of their group. And Lieutenant Sobel walks by. It's the first time they had really seen each other. And Lieutenant Sobel's trying not to make eye contact with a man who was his subordinate and now is his, his superior. And he's trying not to make eye contact. He's avoiding him. He's a bit embarrassed about the whole thing and a bit bitter too. And winners, major winners, stops him. And he says, Lieutenant, we salute the rank. We don't salute the person. He's basically ignoring him because he's a higher rank. And so then Lieutenant Sobel has to salute the superior officer there. And it's a great, little, a great little line and a great interaction about a respect that comes for the person's rank, that comes for his office, not because you like the person or not because they do everything that you want. It's this respect for somebody based on who they are, not because you care for them or because they like. It's a respect for an office, not for a person necessarily. So whatever he thinks of the office, whatever he thinks of the rank, he still has to acknowledge the role that a major has over him who's a, who's a lieutenant. And it's an important concept, an important reality for our readings today. Because in our readings, especially the gospel, what we see is Jesus Christ establishing an office, establishing a particular role that Peter's going to have, but continues after Peter. Because what our Lord establishes for Peter is this, this role of being a rank, of basically being the chief steward in the kingdom. And the first reading and the gospel are perfectly paired for each other. In the first reading, we heard of the prophet Isaiah in the time when the kingdom gets divided, of Shebna, who is the chief steward. He's kind of the number two man after the king in the kingdom. And Shebna's not doing a very good job as the prime minister, as the chief steward. And so Isaiah prophesies that you're out of the office, buddy. Like, you're not doing a very good job. You're going to get out. You're kicked out. And then Eliakim gets raised up in his place. And as Isaiah is relating this, he says, you will be a father to the inhabitants. You'll be a papa, basically, to the inhabitants. And he will hold the key 
of the kingdom on his shoulder. And what he opens, no one else shall shut. And what he shuts, no one else shall open. So this person, Eliakim, basically has an office. He's the number two man in the kingdom. He's the prime minister, the chief steward. And whatever he does, the whole kingdom is bound to. And whatever he, what he doesn't do, the whole kingdom has to follow that. And he's got these keys as a symbol for his role of his office. And you pair that up with what we saw in the gospel. In the gospel, of course, Jesus begins by kind of getting the, getting the pulse of everybody. Who does, who does everybody say that I am? And they begin with, you know, some say, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. But then, of course, Peter says when he's asked, he says, you are the Christ, you are the Son of God. And then Jesus says, behold, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, for flesh and blood has revealed this to you. And upon my rock, I will build my, upon you, Peter, I will build my church. So he gives Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven. A great image Jesus uses for what Eliakim was, was uh, given in our gospel. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So that whatever Peter does, and whatever Peter's successors do, are then, of course, the whatever is, is what's decided. It's what's discerned. And then he'll have that similar role that Eliakim had of being a father to the inhabitants, of being a papa to the inhabitants, of basically being a pope. And so we see in the gospel this Sunday, Jesus establishing Peter as the first pope, of establishing this office for Peter to be the pope, to be continued 266 times on to Pope Francis in our own day and age. And you think what this gives to the church, which this gives to our community, what this gives to us as the people of God is unity. It gives us a person who we know if we're in union with them, we're in union with the church throughout the whole world. It gives stability to the church so that it's not popular acclaim that makes the church, but the stability of a person. And then it gives order. Just like a military has a chain of command, it has order so that you know who you report to and what you're supposed to do. Of course, we're more than a military, but it gives order to our to our church. It's, so it's for the good of the church that Christ gives this order, gives this order to it in this role of the Pope. But of course, sometimes we have quite terrible popes. You know, if you read church history, and sometimes it's a laundry list of not-so-faithful people. You know, we've had popes who have had their enemies killed. We've had popes that have accepted bribes, popes that have fathered children, popes that have lived a very lavish lifestyle. And yet Jesus knew all of this. And for some reason, Jesus thought, we're going to do it anyways. We're going to have men in the 266 lines that are going to be incredible saints and men that are going to be incredible sinners. And yet the office itself is good. Despite how holy the man is, we still acknowledge this office so that we can have unity, so that we can have stability and we can have order in the church. And great saints have occupied this chair of Peter, have occupied the role as the Pope. Numerous popes have been martyred, have been killed, have given their lives for the saints. Heck, Leo the Great, Saint Leo the Great as the Pope, went out and met Attila the Hun, 
talked with him and convinced him to turn around and go home. Great saints have occupied the role as the Pope and unfortunately great sinners too. But the Lord gives this, this office, gives this rank for us because he knows it's good for the entire church to have this role, to have somebody who can be Jesus' number two in the church. And even similarly and locally, we're also given a bishop in our diocese, the one who we can look to as the chief shepherd, as the source of unity for the entire church throughout our diocese. And some bishops are great, other bishops not so great, and yet it's the person the Lord has given to us. And so whether we like a bishop or whether we like a pope, we still pray for them every time that Mass is celebrated in our church. And they're given as a sense of service, not so that somebody can have their name in in the history books or that somebody can have a great respect or great authority and wield it with an iron fist, but in a service to the church. And St. Gregory the Great took this great role as the Pope. He called, it, he called his own role as the servant of the servants of God, the one who gets to serve all of us as the servant of God. And so it's not as a role of a, as a tyrant or not as a role as somebody who gets the authority, who gets to make all of these decisions, but one who gets to be first in service. And so in the Gospel, in the readings today, we realize and we're shown that this is God's plan for the church. It wasn't a a vote. It wasn't the apostles that got together and said, hey, we got to have somebody who's in charge. But Jesus Christ established this, knowing that some people would do it incredibly well and some people would let it go to their heads and they would wield with an iron fist or, you know, with a complete lack of integrity. And so we pray for the Pope every time we celebrate Mass. We pray for the bishop of our diocese because it's such an important role and one that's no easy task that anybody in their right mind would never want in their their life. And yet it's one out of love for God and out of service for the church that people take up. And so maybe we redouble our efforts to pray for these people, to pray for Pope Francis, to pray for Dennis, our bishop, that they may be guided in love and in service that they may have integrity in what they do, that they may be dedicated to the truth, and that we will be able to honor them, not because they're great men or because they deserve so or because they're better than anybody else, but they've been given this office, this office in the church to lead God's flock and to serve us as Jesus Christ first served the church.